Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we're going to be uh, concluding this series by talking about connecting to Christ and his mission. I believe that Jesus has work that he's doing in the world today, and he wants to do that work through us. And in your bulletin today, you've got a little yellow piece of paper that looks something like this, and on it, on, on two sides, one side it is world opportunities and local outreach opportunities. On the other side, there's some serving opportunities within our church. But if you're looking at how to kick off your year in serving, we'd invite you to fill out this form, and we're going to give you a chance a little later on in our service to turn that in. Uh, because we're kicking off uh, a season of, of serving in mission with Christ here today. Uh, but before we look at this opportunity of connecting to the mission of God, I, I want to share with you a little bit of a story. And it has to do with uh, my life growing up and my birthday. Uh, my dad and I were, were born on the same day, different year, same day, uh, August the 18th. And because of that, my childhood, I remember my birthday parties a lot. I don't remember my dad's birthday parties hardly at all. And part of that's because you kind of don't celebrate birthdays as an adult, right? I mean, when was the last time you got an invitation from another adult to go to Skateland um, where there was going to be a Star Wars cake, right? Uh, that typically doesn't happen as adults, but as kids, that's, that's really pretty normal. So growing up, I remember celebrating my birthday and the parties that we had uh, growing up, I seldom remember one from my dad, but there was one notable exception to that rule. And that was in 1980 when my dad turned 40. As adults, we celebrate decades, right? We don't celebrate years, years out, they come and they go. But decades, we're going to celebrate those babies. And when my dad turned 40, there was going to be uh, quite a party. Now, my, my mom and, and my uncle who lived in town and some friends had planned a, a surprise party for my dad. And they had invited his two brothers to come up from Texas. They had invited his sister to come over from Grand Lake. And a number of other friends were all going to gather at the Robinson house for a big 40th birthday party for my dad. Uh, they let virtually everybody except my dad and me know about this. And the reason for that is simple. You just don't entrust a seven-year-old with certain pieces of information. Uh, there's just no way I could have held on to that secret for any extended period of time. It was just too much of good news, right? But about 24 hours before the party, I found out about it. And I was just giddy. I couldn't wait to go home and tell my dad what was going to happen the next day. Uh, somehow, my family managed to keep me away from my dad. I don't know if it was duct tape. I went and stayed with friends and family. I don't know what it was. But somehow, they were able to keep me away from him so that I didn't tell him about the party before the day came. And on the day of our birthday, the day of the party, I ended up spending all day seated on, seated on the front porch looking down the street waiting for the party to arrive. And when I saw the, the car turn with the Texas plates and I knew my uncles had arrived, they go running inside, Dad, you're never going to guess who's here, um, to announce the start of the surprise and the party. You know, there, there's just some news, some good news that's just hard to keep to yourself, isn't it? You ever had a secret like that? You ever known that a surprise is coming and you just couldn't wait to, to pass along that information? It was just good news. You ever, if you're, if you're uh, engaged, or engaged or married, there was a time where one of you knew 
the date of the proposal and the other one didn't. And that ring was burning a hole in your pocket. You were excited about sharing that news. When we have good news, when we have a secret, we just want to share it, right? Well, here's the story as it relates to the Christian life. All of us have good news to share. As a matter of fact, all of us have great news to share. We have news to share that's so great because we have a God who created us, who knows us, and who loves us, and who found a way for us to spend an eternity with him. We have a God who sent his son into the world to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be redeemed, so that we might spend not just a morning or an afternoon or a season, but we might spend an eternity in his presence, not on the basis of our good works, but on the basis of his gift. That's not good news, folks. That is great news. And we all know about it. And so here's Really, the question that I was thinking about this week, if we all have such good news, if we all have such great news, why is it that sometimes we treat it like it's a surprise? Why is it that sometimes we don't freely talk about it? Why is it that sometimes we don't freely share it? This morning, we're going to talk about kicking off our year in in mission with Christ. And we're going to look at a passage in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 16, that's going to encourage us that we have this good news and that we should be open and willing to share it. And so this is a passage that God has used to encourage me this week, and I hope and pray he'll use it to encourage you as well as we look at Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 16. You've got a Bible open there. I'm going to read these verses for us, and then after I read them, we're going to go back and and dive into it in several parts, seeing what God has for us in it. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14, says this. The apostle Paul writes and says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? In these few verses, we see something about the good news that we possess and that God wants us to do something with. The first thing that we're going to see from these verses is that we are to share the good news. We are to share the good news. Uh, we see this in, throughout these verses, but specifically I want to point us to the latter parts of verse 15. See, the second half of verse 15, the Apostle Paul is writing and he quotes Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7 when he says, as it is written in Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, the Apostle Paul was was thinking about his life, and he was thinking about the context where he found himself, and he realized that God had entrusted him with some great news to share with his people. The Apostle Paul was from a Jewish background, and many Jewish people um, were living their lives disconnected from God because they had rejected the gift of 
found in Christ. And the Apostle Paul was thinking about that situation uh, when he thought of the Spirit directed him to think about Isaiah 52.7. Because in Isaiah 52.7, what happened was God was communicating good news to the people of Israel. See, in the book of Isaiah, the Jewish people were in exile. They were in, in Babylon. In, in Isaiah 52, God communicates through Isaiah to say, go tell my people that their time of exile is over, that they will be able to return to the land of Jerusalem. They will be able to return to their holy city. They will be able to resume sacrifices in the temple in their, in their heavenly worship. They'll be able to return from that exile. And he, God tells Isaiah And he tells Isaiah to tell the people that the time of exile is over. And this was good news. Now, this was in the days before the internet. This was in the days before cable television. This was in the days before uh, radio broadcast. And so, in order for good news to get from one place to another, it had to travel word of mouth. And so, what happened was Isaiah would would tell others who would then go into all of the villages and encampments between Jerusalem and Babylon and tell everybody they found from a Jewish background, hey, guess what? The exile is over. And as these people would go from from camp to camp, they would be able to share that good news. And the news was so good, the people would be so elated when they heard that the exile was over that they would say that even the feet of those people that brought that news were beautiful. I don't know about you, but feet are not beautiful. Feet are ugly. I mean, that's true in today's world where we have salons and spas and and socks and closed-toed shoes. Can you imagine how ugly feet were in the first century? I mean, they would have been pretty ugly, right? Imagine 700 years before the time of Christ, feet would have been caked with dirt and calluses and corns and bunions and I don't know what. They were not pretty, but the news was so good that these messengers were carrying from camp to camp that when the people heard that news, they would say, your feet are beautiful because you're bringing me such good news. It was such good news to the people of Israel in 700 B.C. that the, the um, exile was over, that they would be returning, that their feet were seen as beautiful. And Paul thought about that story. He thought about that situation as he thought about his countrymen. Because as Paul thought in his day, in the, in the first century, he thought, I have some good news to share with my people. Their spiritual exile is over. The Messiah has come. He has died on the cross to provide cleansing for their sins. People who once were far from God can now be brought close to God because of what Jesus has done. And and Paul thought, it is my great privilege to carry this good news to them that they might believe. We know this is clearly what Paul was thinking about because the context of Romans 9, 10, and 11 is Paul reflecting on his hope that his fellow countrymen would embrace Christ in faith. We see this in chapter 10 and verse 1 when Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, meaning his Jewish friends, was that they might be saved. Paul knew that this salvation would be found only in Christ. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Verse 13 continues, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Apostle Paul was thinking about life and realizing that there was some good news that he had to share with his people. 
Messiah had come, and if they would just understand that and embrace what Jesus had done by faith, that they could be forgiven, that they might be saved. That was the good news that, that Paul wanted to share with his people. And Paul understood that that was not something that God wanted him to keep as a surprise. It was something that God wanted him to share with others. We see that clearly in the context of the verses we just read from 14 to 16. There was a process that, that God used to keep the good news of Jesus from being a surprise, a process by which God would take the message from Paul to all of the Jewish people at that time and, and on down through history even to you and me today, a process that began with the good news having happened, that God then sent people into the world to share, that they would proclaim this message, that people would, would hear it, and ultimately that they would believe it and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. God didn't want to keep this good news a secret, and so he set in process a series of events that would take the gospel all the way to us. And you know what? That process that God used to get the gospel from the first century to you and me is the same process he wants to work today to take the gospel from you and me to our world around us. Because God has given us the task of, of sharing the good news. When we think about this task of sharing the good news, it really has three parts to it. There are some things that God has done, there are some things that we are to do, and there are some ways in which people can respond. We're going to look at that in, in three parts. The first thing we're going to see is what has God already done in this process? What has God already done? Well, first thing that God has already done is he has already created the good news. We saw this in the last part of verse 15 that we read earlier. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The good news has already happened. We just get to talk about it. We just get to share it. You know, sometimes we can be lulled into a thought as Christians that, you know what, if I had some good news then I would share it with others. You know what, if, if God cures my cancer, then I'll talk about God because then he'll have done something good. Then, he'll have some, then I'll have some good news to share. You know, if God restores my marriage, then I'll tell somebody about it because then he will have done something good. I'll have something to share. You know, if, if, if God raises somebody from the dead at the next funeral I attend, then I'll tell people about what God is doing because obviously God is doing something good. You know, sometimes we wait for God to do something good in order to share that with others. But what we see in Romans chapter 10 is that God has already done something good. God has done something great. God has already sent Jesus into the world to, to die on the cross, to take the penalty that our sins deserve so that we might be reconciled to him. God has already done something great. God has already raised Jesus from the dead. And that any one of us who embrace that gift by faith might experience salvation. God has already done something very good for us to proclaim. We don't have to wait for God to do something good to talk about the greatness of God. He's already offered us life in Christ. That's one thing that God has already done. But a second thing that God has already done is found in the first part of verse 15. God has already sent us on mission into the world. Paul asked the question in 15, he says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? In other words, we need somebody to tell us go so that we can go out and begin to, to share the good news of Christ. 
What we see in the full context of Scripture is that God has already said go. We've already been commissioned. We've already been sent. We see that back in the book of Matthew in chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, among other places. When Jesus gathered his disciples together, and he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't have to wait to be sent. God has already sent us. Sometimes we, we think, you know what? I wonder if God wants me to reach out and share Christ with my neighbor. I wonder if God wants me to talk about Jesus with my family member. I wonder if, if God wants me to, to, to have a, uh, a testimony in my workplace or in my neighborhood. You know, we think about this way sometimes because we, when we, we think that way, we're thinking, you know what? We need God to say go. I'm going to go to my, to my room and I'm going to pray and I'm going to say, God, if you want me to do this, then you need to tell me to go. And if, if you've ever felt that way, if you ever thought that you need to be sent in order to go share that message, to go share that truth, to proclaim Christ in some way, then hopefully this morning it's, it's clear to you that we don't have to wait for that declaration. It's something that God has already given. He gave it to the disciples in the first century, and he said that that command would go till the end of the age, which includes today, and would apply to those who call on his name, which includes you and me. We have been called, we have been sent to take the good news of Christ to the world. You know what? This has a lot of implications for us as a church. We think about the call to to take the good news of Christ and proclaim it among all nations, among all peoples. That's why we have ministries around here for children, for students, for college students, for adults, for the elderly for infants. Why is it that we we have ministries to all these different people? Because God said that the scope is all nations, all people. There's no end to God's call in terms of, of people. That's why we care about people. That's why we have ministries to people. If you're engaged in serving in one of those areas, the reason why we have such a wide scope in terms of the ministry that we're a part of is because the scope was wide in God's intention. We would take the gospel to, to all peoples. Why is it that we don't just have ministries that take place in this building, but we go out into the community? Why is it that we have people who are, are serving with the homeless at Food and Shelter for Friends, people volunteering in, in local elementary schools uh, to build relationships with those there? Why is it that we are serving outside the walls of this place in our community, partnering with Mission Norman and others? We do that because we believe the scope is all nations, not just Wildwood people. Why is it that we are partnering with people all over the world? Why is it that we are partnering with church planters in the Middle East who are planting a church among a people that has no known church? Why is it that we are are partnering with, with different missionaries all over to share the gospel in those places? Because we don't believe that the call that God has for us is limited to this nation. It's among all nations, all people. Because God has already sent us. We don't have to wait for God to say, you know what, you ought to care about sharing my truth with others. We don't have to wait for that call. God has already given it. It has impact for us as a church and it has impact for you as individuals. God has already sent us. Those are some of the things that God has done. 
But what are we to do? What are we called to do? Well, our calling is, is pretty simple. We see in the latter parts of verse 14, we have a call to preach. It says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And, you know, some of you are thinking, oh, that's great. I'm glad that it says the word preaching because that means that you have the job to do it, pastor, because preaching is something that pastors do. And, it, and if, if that's the way you're, you're feeling and if that's the out clause you're hoping to get this morning, I'm about to burst your bubble. Uh, the word preach here could also be translated to proclaim, just to talk about, to put the message of Christ out there. And that's a calling that, that all of us have. Jesus has said to all of us, go, and his call as we go is to proclaim and to talk about the greatness of Christ. Now, there's several parts to that, several applications to that. One, one part has to do with, with proximity. You know, if we are to go and to proclaim Christ, then we need to put ourselves in the proximity of those who don't know Him. It means we need to organize our week to where we don't just spend time with those who know Christ, but time with those who don't know Him. And they're not hard to find. Sometimes we think, well, we live in the Bible Belt, we live in Oklahoma. It's, some statistics would tell us that 75 to 80% of our county don't attend church. Now, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but not attending church probably puts you at least at some level of disinterest to spiritual things. Talking about hundreds of thousands of people around us. Part of proclaiming Christ means that we put ourselves in proximity to others. That's why missionaries go and, and reside in other countries, because it's hard to proclaim to those you don't know. It's hard to proclaim to those you, you can't see. And so we need to place ourselves in context. This is, again, why we, we, we do things at the shelters, why we do things at the schools. It's, it's why we, we go and we serve in our community. It's because we want to be in proximity to those around us that we might build relationship with them. Part of what we do is, is, is a, an issue of proximity. But as we're in proximity, another part of what we do is that we proclaim, but we don't necessarily have to proclaim always with our mouths. Sometimes we proclaim with our actions. We find ways to, to serve and meet the real needs of those around us. We talk in our, our mission strategy as a church that we would be grace-giving. We would go in context with people and we would serve them where they are, that we would show them love. That's why we provide meals to the shelter. That's why we provide affirmation and mentoring relationships in the school. We go and we meet real needs with, with folks in our community. We meet real needs with those on the mission field, when with one by one in Nicaragua, some of you have gone there, they, they, they take students, children, into their mission and they provide structure for them to learn and to grow and to develop in a safe place. They're meeting a very real need as they proclaim that, that God loves them and cares for them, not just in words, but in actions. Part of what we do is we go in proximity, but then as we're in proximity, we proclaim through our actions that God loves them and cares for them. But as we're in that proximity and as we proclaim with our actions, there will come a time when we need to proclaim with our mouths. There will come a time when we need to proclaim the truth about, about God and what He offers us in Christ to proclaim that to those that we interact with. Um, and sometimes we are hesitant to do that because we think that we have to preach an entire sermon 
in the process. Let me, let me give you a little hint. I stand up here on a regular basis and talk for about 30 minutes. Uh, some of you, because that's what you see, you think if in order for me to effectively talk to people, other people about Jesus, I need to talk for 30 minutes. Let me just ask you to do a little test of your own soul. How many of you would ever wish I talked less? How many of you were like, you know what? Mark, you had it at about 10 minutes last week. Um, I know you think that way. I know you've thought that way. You may have thought that way this morning. You're checking the clock. You're ready to get out of here. Um, there's a part of us uh, that feels like we, we, we shouldn't engage to talk to people about Christ if we can't lay out some 30, 45-minute presentation. But the reality is that many times the best thing we can proclaim about Christ can be done in one sentence. It happens in a moment where we just give someone the reason for our hope that we have. It happens in a moment when we just point them back to the person of Christ. Sometimes that's in one sentence. Sometimes that's in one minute. Sometimes it's in 10 minutes. Sometimes it's in, it's in an hour. But it's just opportunities that we have to proclaim the truth about Christ. As we are in proximity to others, as we love others, we need to be ready to talk about the greatness of Christ because we've been sent to proclaim His truth. That's what we're called to do. God has created the good news. God has sent us in the world. We are to proclaim this news. But as we do that, we need to remember that there's a couple of different ways that people can respond. There's a couple of different ways that people can respond. Paul was, was very aware that as he presented this message that, that some would believe it, but others wouldn't. In 14, the first part of verse 14, Paul says this. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Paul's great hope, his great desire was that as they heard the message that he proclaimed, that non-believers would, would place their faith and their trust in Christ. That was his great hope. And you know what? In the first century, that happened in, in, in great number. There were many who heard it who believed. There were many people from a Jewish background that embraced Jesus as their Messiah. We call some of them apostles. They were from a Jewish background. We call some of them, you know, just the, these, these 5,000 people that trusted Christ in, in the early days and were gathering. Many of them were from a Jewish background. There were many who embraced Christ in the first century. They heard the message that was preached and they embraced it in faith. That was true in the first century. You know what? It's also true today. You might think that this doesn't happen anymore, but believe me, it does. I know of people in, in this church, in this room, who have, have trusted in Christ very recently, who have heard this message of the person of Christ and have, and have embraced him in faith. It's something that's happening right here in our community as the message of Jesus is proclaimed. It's something that's happening not just here, but is happening all over the world as believers are sharing the good news of Christ. People are responding by faith all around us. It's one of the ways that people respond. It's something that gives us great hope and great joy. But you know what? Not everyone that we proclaim the truth about Christ will respond in faith. Some will. That's our hope. That's our desire. But others won't. Paul acknowledges that in verse 16 when he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? In other words, in Isaiah's day, in Paul's day, when the good news was shared, not everybody thought their feet were so beautiful. When the good news is shared, at times people 
fail to embrace by faith this good news that is offered to them. Sometimes we can begin to get discouraged thinking, I'm not going to share this truth anymore. I'm not going to proclaim the person of Christ anymore because I don't have that gift. And we've come to that conclusion because not everybody we've shared with has repented on the spot and trusted in Christ. But the reality is that's never been the case. As the seed of the gospel has gone out, there's always been some who've responded in faith and others who have rejected it. That was true even in Jesus' day. Think about that. In the very first century, as Jesus was walking the earth, not everybody embraced him. People who heard the Sermon on the Mount, not as somebody else shared it, but with their own ears. People who saw Jesus touch a blind man's eyes and he could see. People who could go and and witness the crucifixion and could also see the empty tomb and the, the bloody rags left inside when he was resurrected. People who saw all of those things Many of them rejected Christ even still. If that's the case, then then why should we be surprised that some today don't respond by embracing Christ? It's something that is just a part of the way that it goes. And we see in in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, that, that part of what's going on there is that there is a veil over the heart of those away from Christ that prevents them from understanding exactly what he is offering to them and prevents them from from trusting him in faith. We need to not be discouraged from sharing the gospel simply because not everybody responds in faith. It It is clear that some will receive it and some will reject it. But it's still our great hope and desire that those who hear the truth of the gospel will respond in faith. I was thinking about how to kind of tie some of this together in in a way that we might be able to to understand it and embrace it a little bit. And I I thought about uh, a great segment of a book by a man by the name of Tim Downs who wrote a book called Finding Common Ground. And in that book, uh, Tim Downs talks about the process of reaching others for Christ, and he shares this story. Maybe some of you can relate to it. He says, in the fall of 1975, I was actively involved in the ministry of a a campus ministry at the University of Indiana. At one of the weekly meetings, the campus director unexpectedly announced that there would be no presentation that evening. Instead, we were all going to pair up and go out on campus to find someone with whom to share our faith. This announcement was met with the same enthusiasm as if he had just announced that we would all be having root canals. Uh, It's It's possible, right? We forget that it's good news that we're sharing. We all reluctantly agreed to go and to meet back in about an hour to tell our experiences. My roommate and I decided to team up, and so we headed out to the streets of downtown Bloomington to look for an appropriate target. We spotted a solitary figure standing under a streetlight. He met all of our criteria. He was alone, he seemed to have nothing to do, and he was smaller than we were. We approached. Hi, I said. My name is Tim, and this is Dave. I forgot to ask his name. We'd like to share with you the contents of this little yellow booklet. Would that be okay with you? He turned and began to walk slowly away, his eyes glued to the sidewalk. He said nothing in response to our question, so we assumed his consent. I began to read. This first page says that just as there are laws that govern the physical universe, so there are spiritual laws that govern our relationship with God. 
I plunged ahead. As I finished each of the four spiritual laws, I was careful to stop and add an illustration or an explanation. For his part, he said nothing. He simply began to pick up the pace of his walk, his eyes never leaving the ground in front of him. Man is sinful and separated from God, so we cannot know him personally or experience his love, I continued. We came to an intersection. Without waiting for the light to change, he darted across. We were right behind him, reading fast. Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him alone, we can know God personally and experience his love. By this time, we were almost at a dead run. What a sight we must have been. One student running down the sidewalk, two others in hot pursuit, reading as they went, like some sort of mobile study group. We arrived at his dormitory just as I finished my presentation. He was out of sidewalk. I was out of laws, and we were all out of breath. He flung open the front door, then wheeled around and looked at us for the very first time. His glare was a presentation in itself. Thank you, he said sarcastically. You have just repeated to me everything that I had to listen to for eight years of Catholic school. The door slammed behind him. Dave and I looked sheepishly, wondering if anyone had seen us clearly enough to identify us. We began the long, long walk back to the meeting place, dreading the upcoming opportunity to tell the other students the story of our profound spiritual encounter. Anybody relate to this? I can. I can hear the other students' stories now. The lonely freshman from a broken home who had received the gospel in tears. The alcoholic pre-med student who not only came to faith but became sober instantly. The impromptu testimony given at a drunken fraternity party which ended with all the brothers joining hands and singing, How Great Thou Art. (laughs) Then it would be our turn. We read a tract at one guy, we would say. He tried to run away, but we stayed right with him. He yelled at us, but he didn't actually throw anything. We're not sure, but we think he's enrolling at seminary this fall. (laughs) For a long time, as we walked, we said nothing. Then we began the all-important, highly imaginative process of rationalizing away the disaster that had just occurred. The most important thing, I said solemnly, is that we did what we were supposed to do. What that guy does with the message is up to him. We walked into the meeting hall with a new sense of dignity and importance. We had found a way to present our experience with honor and self-respect. It was no small feat. We had found a way to make a plane crash look like a scheduled part of the air show. Hey, I, I share that with us all. Uh, for this reason. When we break down the passage in the order and the way in which I did, we talk about our responsibility and we talk about how people can respond to that. It's possible in that for us to get so fixated on our responsibility that all we care is our proclamation of it. And we don't ever stop to really think that the reason why we're doing this is with a hope that they would place their faith and trust in See, we have the opportunity to share good news. You realize that? You remember that? Is that something that that is close to your heart? You have good news for those in your family. You have good news for your neighbors, for your coworkers. You You have good news for the hundreds of thousands of people around us in proximity of us who don't know 
and don't live in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We have good news for what Jesus has done for them. And we share that good news, not just so we can check the box and say, hey, you know what? I did my evangelism today. I got my evangelism merit badge. Um, I, I did this. We, we have a responsibility to proclaim, but the reason why we, pro- we proclaim is because we want to see others embrace Christ as we have. I'll share a story. One of the individuals that we've interacted with as a church, as a part of one of our outreach initiatives over the last year, uh, placed his faith in Christ back in July. And uh, it was such a joy for me uh, to see that happen, and, and for many, and for all of us here today to be able to celebrate that. And, and I say that uh, not so that we can say, wow, we can validate now our, our outreach ministry. You know, all of the activity and the shelter and the schools, all these things, it all is suddenly worthwhile because this has happened, so we can check the box and say we have an outreach ministry. It's not that at all. I say that and we celebrate that because somebody who once was lost has been found. Somebody who once was separated from God is now close to God, held in the arms of the Savior for eternity. And we got to see it happen. Because we were able to proclaim the good news of Christ. It involved being in proximity. It involved meeting some real needs. But it also involved putting them in a context to hear about the truth of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That adventure is an adventure that God wants all of us to be on. And it looks different for, for, for each of us. How it looks in your life will look different than in my life. But I want to give us one example as we close our time today of how it looked in, in the life of, of one individual. And so I'm, I'm going to ask El Knopp to come forward. And El's going to come up with uh, Kevin Bradford. Some of you may know El. El uh, was a college student here at OU, um, was a part of our college life ministry, uh, and now is on staff with InterVarsity uh, here in, in our community, reaching out internationals on our campus. And so we've asked Elle to come and talk a little bit about what this looks like in her life. And also invited Kevin Bradford, who's our Director of World Outreach, to come and, and help us interact with Elle a little more. So with, with that in mind, would you please join me in welcoming Kevin and Elle. Elle, the focus of your, um, your work at the OU campus is with international students. How did you get started with that? Well, it started my senior year of college, and I practically, I needed a place to live, um, and so we, uh, I, through a conversation with my staff worker, we're talking about just the unfortunate uh, apartment complex that most international students live in, and it turned out it was cheap enough um, for me to afford, and so um, just for practical reasons, I um, decided that that would be a great outreach opportunity for my last year, and God um provided a team of students to help me reach out to international students that year and um, also provided the heart of suddenly a group of people that I hadn't honestly noticed really my um, previous years suddenly became um, like uh, students that I wanted to love and care for and share um, Jesus with. And so um, that went so well Uh, my senior year that when I joined staff with InterVarsity, they asked me to stay at OU um, and to uh, start global university there. Um, my wife and I have been involved with the Friends to International Students. Uh, it's a part of the OU International program. 
And we know that from that, there's a lot of students that come to the campus that really don't have any contact with Christianity, any prior contact. Um, how do you reach out to a student like that or to others that even maybe have a, a distant relationship to, to Christ? Yeah, so um, one of the first things that we did and have found is um, works well is just to go to where they are. So there's a lot of programs at OU and where international students are, and Americans don't go very often. And so we went to Korea night, and we went to the Indian Student Association, and um, and met students there, and then we invited them over to my house um, for just hospitality um, on a Friday afternoon to have tea. Um, and from there, there were Christians that we I invited um, who just built relationships with the students. And then because they're believers, they invited them to small group Bible studies and um, to like church and things like that. Um, and so this year, what we're doing, um, we're still having students over and um, then they're, they're genuinely curious about the gospel um, and about Christianity. They know, they think every American is a Christian and um, they, they want to understand what that is just a little bit. And um, so they're pretty open to a short four-week Bible study on who is Jesus. Oh, it's very exciting. Um, and one of the things that, that strikes me, it hit me first service, it hit me again here, just how there's some real similarities between ministry to internationals and just reaching out to anybody, just being in, in proximity, inviting them into your home, building relationship that, that leads to opportunities to proclaim uh, the person of Christ. That's, that's very exciting. Well, one, one thing um, that I want you to elaborate on a little bit um, is something you mentioned with, with uh, the tea time. Wildwood, uh, many of you know, um, had an initiative a couple of years ago that we started called Ready for Takeoff, where we raised some funds to be able to pay off our children's buildings so that we could dedicate about $180,000 a year into increased outreach and ministry. And a portion of those funds have gone to grants with some of our missionary partners in order to help take their ministry to another level. One of those grants for, for this year uh, was a grant that we gave to UL uh, in your ministry, um, having tea with internationals. So maybe share a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, Wildwood has provided, um, the big thing it was a water boiler, so I can make tea for up to 100 cups of tea in one object that only requires one plug, which is really efficient. Um, and it is really fast, and so it provides me the opportunity to spend more time with students during uh, tea time. And so all of the tea was covered as well. And so we're hoping to serve, I think, uh, got enough stuff to make about 600 cups of tea. So that's a lot of students. <laughs> That's very exciting. And, and uh, just, just real quick, just so you know, it wasn't a $180,000 cup of tea. Um, it's one of several. And, and throughout the fall, we're going to hear about some of our first round of, of grants and our services between uh, now and December. But uh, it's, we're really excited, El, to be able to partner with you in reaching out to international. Um, could you just maybe share a story with us of somebody that you've had a, a chance to impact? And then at the same time, um, maybe mention one or two ways that people from Wildwood get, in, get involved or help your ministry? Sure. So um, I spent um, this past year in Dallas at the University of Texas in Dallas, um, where we did a similar thing, um, reaching out to international students. And it was the, one of the first times where um, I was able to watch someone learn who Jesus was through Bible study from no knowledge whatsoever um, to over the course of a semester. And my friend Mavis, um, she um, learned the fruit of the Spirit. We studied a different one each week, and it was amazing to see just um, her retain that information um, and to be able to, like, bring up what we learned the previous week the next week. Um, and I could see um, the Holy Spirit teaching her about God's character, um, and then she would speak up about it. She would tell students things um, during our Bible discussion 
that I had not told her, that I don't know where she learned, but she, she began to understand um, that that each of us was broken and that we needed a savior. Um, and so that was so special to me. And she is continues to be well on her way towards um, becoming a believer. And so that was great. Um, and then um, how Wildwood can help. Um, so there's a few ways. Um, briefly, uh, we need prayer. Oh my goodness. Um, both me, each of the events that we have, and I'd love for people to be praying individually for my students, um, like Mavis and others who are, um, it's a real a spiritual battle, and they are um, learning about Jesus, and there's a lot of prayer that can be involved there. Um, and uh, it would be a huge help to me and um, to the students if we could have, if we could provide baked goods for tea time. So tea time is every Friday, um, and so if anybody wanted to bake um, enough cookies or something um, for 20, 30 people, um, that would be great. Um, and then we also have students who are interested in English conversation partners. And so um, I think I would love for the conversation partner to be a believer. Um, and so if you want to meet with a student two or three times a month um, and just talk with them and hear about their life, um, I think that would be a huge help as well. Very exciting. Well, one, one way that you can get involved, if you're interested in connecting with some of this ministry that Elle described um, on this yellow piece of paper in your bulletin, one of the things talks about well, welcoming, connecting with internationals. And so if you are interested in participating with, with this ministry in any way, uh, you can mark that and we'll be back in touch with you soon. I want to take just a minute and pray for you and for your ministry. Uh, it's, it's a real privilege. I, I got to know Elle uh, last year on the spring break trip to Nicaragua with Jeremy and the rest of the crew. And it's just uh, it's been a lot of fun. But to also see your ministry develop before you left for Dallas and uh, support raising. Your support is, is complete right now. All right, uh, we can pray for you and your ministry still. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the work that Elle and um, those that are associated with her are doing on campus. And we know that it's a big campus. And there's lots of international students. Uh, we do pray that their numbers would be multiplied, uh, that there would be more and more people that would step up, uh, students, uh, people from this body, others that would um, go out of their way uh, to build those bridges and to establish those relationships uh, to lead many of these people um, at least to a knowledge of the gospel, if not to a, a relationship with Christ. Uh, we pray that, that the Spirit would go ahead, uh, go forward, and would touch the, the hearts of so many. Uh, they're experiencing different types of crisis right now, especially at the beginning of the school year. And we pray that uh, L and others could be sensitive to that and also reach out to them in ways that, that they can appreciate. So, Father, we do pray for these tea times. We pray that, uh, that those would go well. Uh, we pray that uh, other forms of outreach that she uh, envisions and, and starts to put into place would also uh, be blessed by you and that your name would be glorified, not just here in Norman, uh, but through these students uh, throughout the world. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Again, I just want to draw your attention one last time to this, this yellow sheet. As we kick off and connect with mission, I want to give you an opportunity to be a part of that. And so if you uh, would like to get involved with outreach, one side of this form has a number of opportunities for outreach. On the other side are a number of ministries inside the church where you can serve. If you wanted to fill out that, uh, if you've already done so, or if you want to fill that out right now, 
During this closing song, at the end of that closing song, we're going to have our ushers come down the middle aisle. And so if you filled that out and you want to pass it to the middle aisle, our ushers will come by and pick that up uh, as, as we're singing our closing song uh, so that we can get back with you and help connect you to some opportunities to serve and be on mission with Christ here in Norman.